Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Rico from the Made in China podcast and Source Find Asia. So in this episode, I interviewed Nick Lancheski. Uh, he's, <laughs> I had to like phonetically spell out his last name for me because, uh, it does not look how it sounds. Um, but yeah, he, he has an interesting story. He spent a good period of his life in China, about six, seven plus years. In that time period, he went from not knowing how to speak Mandarin at all to learning the language very fluently to, you know, doing translations and teaching Mandarin, I think, to, uh, teaching Mandarin to business people in China. And now he teaches, uh, he helps translate in the U.S. for, you know, Mandarin speakers to their, you know, medical professionals. So if you are from China or Taiwan or something like that and you go, to the U.S. and you're not necessarily fluent and you have some issue and it requires some, uh, you know, deep translation with your doctor, Nick is the guy. That's what he does. So he's saving lives out here. Um, yeah, I think it was a good episode. I think, you know, I, I can totally relate to his story. Not that I'm fluent in Mandarin yet, but just the idea of, you know, being in China, teaching English while starting a business, that whole process. I uh, actually wrote an article as well that uh, should should be linking up soon to the podcast. Just a quick heads up, the sound quality wasn't the best on this episode. Uh, we had quite a few different issues. I wasn't using my podcast mic, you know, Chinese internet, hashtag TIC. Um, and just, you know, just generally we had some connectivity issues and quality issues. I think the first probably five minutes of the episode the sound quality at least on my end is going to be really bad and then it, it'll improve but it, it will still cut in and out so just a heads up there there's uh, actually a special announcement i wanted to make um one of my goals this year as i'm i'm going to talk about in one of the other episodes is to get a intern um from outside of china to come and 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 work for a company so i want to get a summer intern uh we're we're, we're hiring essentially and I just wanted to throw it out there in the podcast. Uh, if you guys, if any one of you guys is listening right now and you're interested in coming down to China, uh, learning about all the crazy things that happen this side, interacting with some of the most successful people in industries like IoT and product development, crowdfunding, and just learning how to make shit, just <laughs> learning how things are made, then you should probably send your resume and a quick introduction to Info at sourcewineasia.com. All right, cheers. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Let's just start at the beginning. Um, you know, what brought you to China? What's that story all about? I think everybody likes to hear the, the beginning struggles of being in China. Sure. <clears throat> yeah, so I originally in college, I had studied abroad in Greece and Italy. And I loved that experience of being abroad. And that is what kind of prompted me to start looking for opportunities to work abroad after I graduated from college. And so once I graduated, I found a, uh, there's a program through my university that brought people to China to teach English. And I interviewed with them and got a, you know, they, they accepted me. And so I was sent over to China in Guangdong province. 
in a city called Zhongshan, which is just to the west of Hong Kong and just south of Guangzhou. And so that's how I first ended up in China. Yeah, I'm familiar with Zhongshan. Um, one of my friends actually lives there. Um, so you end up in Zhongshan. What is that adjustment like? Um, were you were you there for a long time without traveling outside of Zhongshan? Like, what, what was that like? Yeah, so I was I was originally brought there to teach English at a college. Um, uh, one difference between teaching at a college and teaching in a, a training center is in colleges you get uh, four months of paid vacation. And so the original idea for me going to China was not uh, to go to teach English necessarily. That wasn't my main goal. My main goal was to travel and uh, explore the culture. And so that's what initially brought me there. But once I got there, at first, at first I thought it didn't seem too different from the U.S. Like I was picturing there would be, you know, like rice paddies and villages and, you know, people wearing Chinese style hats. But uh, after I got off the ferry coming from Hong Kong, which Hong Kong is, as you know, just like it's kind of like a little haven of Western culture in China. Um, yeah, 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 right. It's a good, good place. Um, and, but so after going across on the ferry over into Zhongshan, uh, getting off on the ferry, you know, we're all told at our orientation, how it's going to be so different in China. And so we're ready for it. And when I got there, it didn't seem that, you know, different drive just the initial drive into the city didn't seem super different you know there were car dealerships and big high rises and uh, lots of what looked like factories Um, so it was initially not very shocking but then after arriving in Zhongshan we were brought to a restaurant where we were introduced to Chinese food for the first time, and so I guess that was a little bit uh, jarring, maybe just to see like chick- chicken feet are really popular in China. So that was the first exposure to chicken feet. Yeah, um, yeah, chicken feet. Oh my god! I remember I, I I ate chicken feet by mistake one time. I went to uh, I went to like a Seven Eleven, and I just I was just like trying to get something quick to eat. And then uh, I didn't realize that it was chicken feet until I had one of them in my mouth. I was just like, what? You saw that, you know, 7-Eleven, like Western kind of thing, walk in there. Yeah, it's, diff- it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to be careful. But yeah, so uh, I guess the first couple, first couple weeks in China were really exciting. Uh you know, having all these new experiences, meeting all these new people. We were given, there were a team of uh, volunteer students that helped the, the other three foreign teachers I taught with in China to adapt to their life in China. And so they were a big help in adjusting, like helping us buy phones and uh, going to the supermarket for the first time and teaching us little Chinese phrases so we could get around like the first Chinese I ever learned was how to say the name of the college where I lived and worked so I mean you mentioned um, quickly you mentioned like the differences between uh, 
you know, teaching at a college, teaching at uh, teaching in a, like a private tuition center. Um, what about if somebody wants to come down to China and doesn't necessarily want to teach? Like, what what ways, what things do they have to do, or what things do they have to look out for? You you have to be a little bit more tactful if you want to find something that's not teaching English, because as you know, teaching English in China there are just there's so many jobs teaching English in China. You know, I'm sure you've had the same experience where you you're just walking down the street and people are like, "Hey, will you teach at my English school?" And so, with finding a non-teaching job, you have to be more tactful. And there are lots of different ways to do it.、Uh, the way I did it was I found companies that were located in where I'm from, Minnesota, in the USA, and I sent them. You know, I searched for companies on LinkedIn, saying, "You know, I want a company that is." Small, medium size, so that I would ha- be able to talk to them and find a, you know, they'd be more likely to kind of create a position for me. And I sent them a message, explaining to them how I could help them, telling them, you know, hey, I'm Nick. And so some of those job boards are, would be a good place to start.、Um, yeah, and again, like I said, another way I think it's not a bad way is to go. Teach English, and then once you get there and you're on the ground, you can start looking for other types of jobs. So, when do you recommend somebody teaches English versus somebody like maybe maybe they just don't know? They're just like, well, I just want to go to China. I want to be able to live there, have some experiences there for a couple of years. Should I teach English? Should I look for another job? Like, when do you recommend the, the best approach? There are a lot of different variables, but In my experience, if you are, if you're open to teaching English, and you don't have maybe kind of another skill set,、uh, like like me, just coming out of college, I the only job I'd had was working on a farm, and I like I'd had I had no real world experience basically. So in that instance, I think teaching English is a good way. Also, if you've if you've already been to China. Um, I know a lot of people who, like me, they've taught English in China for a few years, and they want to do something else. That and then at that point, that is, you know, then that's a good point to start looking for other types of work. Which, like I said, you can do it either through networking or through looking at different job boards.、Um, some job boards, like Indeed or Monster, those kinds of jobs, they have jobs in China, but they're not.、Um, I just feel like the chances of you hearing back from anyone are very slim. So there are other different job boards which cater just to work for foreigners in China, and those are the、uh, job boards I would start looking at and、um, applying for. And、uh, let's talk a little bit more about the actual job itself. Like I know, I remember I interviewed for kindergarten. <laughs> I ended up teaching at a private tuition center. Luckily, like my students were my age, like the older. Um, but I know a lot of people have taught children and complained about it. Like, what what is it like teaching English in China? What in terms of different age groups? So, yeah, I always say teaching is so dependent on you know how old the students are, what subjects you're teaching, and in my opinion, I really like teaching the older students that are similar age with me, you know, college students or the adult students at a training center who are. 
you know, they have a job, but they're trying to improve their English for work and life. And I like, I like teaching those age groups because they're more, they're more folk, they want to learn and they want to be there. Whereas sometimes teaching the younger kids, they don't necessarily want to be there. And so I have trouble teaching to the younger kids. Some people I've heard really like it and they'll, Talk about how easy it is, you know, you're just showing up and playing some games and then it's done. Uh, I don't have a ton of experience teaching little kids. I've taught at a primary school before and some training centers, but I think, yeah, teaching the older people, you'll be able to have more in-depth conversations. Um, and especially too, as at least in my opinion, as a teacher starting out, you might not know all the different teaching methods and so when the students are older it's easier to have conversations with them which is a good teaching strategy because a lot of them are there to practice their oral English and so that's a good way to do that but with the younger kids it can be hard to have a conversation. So I mean uh, another thing I think that me and you have in common with that regard is just like for me teaching English was like a means to an end which uh, is starting a business, and uh, I think you you kind of I don't know if that was your goal when you first came down, but like maybe that's you kind of went in that direction. I, I know a lot of people who also chose to teach English as a means to an end. Um, can you talk a little bit more about why teaching is such a good way to assimilate into China, whether you're trying to start a business or travel or, or learn just a new language or culture? Yeah. So, yeah, I, teaching English in China is a great way to live and work in China, travel there. To learn Mandarin, some kind of creative endeavor, you know, maybe write a book or make music or start a business. I think that the main reason it's good for those is that you have so much free time. Um, you know, a lot of jobs in China, it's like 15 to 20 hours max a week, at least at the college, um, and and then the four months of vacation. So it's you have a ton of paid vacation, and so you just have so much time to work on things. So for that reason, it's a really good um, thing to do. Like you don't need to. It's not incredibly difficult to get a job teaching English. Um, so if you wanted to, say, travel you know, around Asia, or, like, when I was in China, I went to Tibet, Thailand a couple of times. It gives you so much free time to explore the country and the surrounding area. And if you want to learn Mandarin, again, you have a lot of free time, and you're in the that environment. Um, I've tried to learn other languages while being in the U.S., and it's, it takes a lot more effort to learn it when you don't live around people that are speaking it every day. Whereas when you're in the country where people are speaking it, you just walk out the door and you can start practicing or. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you like you wrote the book as well, right? So that's uh, it's called ultimate China guide, how to teach English, travel, learn Chinese and find work in China. And after I taught English in China for three years, I started wanting 
you know, to do something else. Uh, I didn't plan to be a teacher my whole life. And I'd always liked writing and thought about being a writer when I was a kid. And so, and then I, I read the, this book, The 4-Hour Workweek. And, Tim Ferriss. Yep, by Tim Ferriss. And that really kind of, what? Everybody's what? read that book now at this stage. Yeah, right. But it, yeah, it just kind of changed my outlook on work. And it was kind of made me realize, you know, anybody could do kind of anything that they wanted. And, you know, here's how to do it. And here you can even leverage your, uh, your time so that you can you know, be making money while you're sleeping. Um, that kind of thing. And so I thought, okay, this book would be a good idea for like a muse. And so that was another kind of um, thing that helped me to get started writing it. Uh, and then, but I didn't actually start writing it until uh, three years later after I, I'd been, I ended up going back to China. I moved back to the U.S. And then I didn't like it. And so I moved back to China and I opened an English school with a friend of mine in Jiangmen which is next to Zhongshan. Uh, and then at that point, I stopped doing the school after about a year. And my business partner and his wife kept doing it. And then I found this job at a, a New Zealand company. Why did you stop doing the school? I, because I didn't like teaching. It was not my, not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. That, that's the main reason, yeah. Teaching is not my thing. Yeah, I think, I think you know, it's, it's definitely a good opportunity teaching English in China, but it's like you really have to have a certain type of personality. You know, it's not the same. Like, even if you're teaching people your age here versus if you're teaching people your age or slightly younger abroad or in a Western culture, it's like it's just it's really different, man. You're dealing with cultural issues. Um, understandings, things like that, and then just being in a foreign country, it's like, yeah, you can get tired of it at some stage. Right. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, it's totally different. There were some teachers that came to teach in China from, uh, you know, from North America uh, for their master's degree. They were teaching in China as kind of a student teaching thing, and I just thought that was so strange because the teaching that they were doing in China, it was going to be different from what they were doing in Canada. Yeah, yeah. But then again, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe the experience of teaching in such a foreign culture helps them, helps inform them yeah. in their skill set when they go back, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, just uh, to me, honestly, like teaching English taught me that I, I enjoy teaching. I just, don't, I just don't enjoy teaching English. <laughs> You know, in China, right, right. <laughs> so, so yeah, like, I, I, I definitely realize, like, I do have a, a passion for tea, and it's part of the reason why I do the podcast. Um, yep. And yeah, yeah, but like, just that context is—it's very, very specific and very different. Right, definitely. Yeah, I, I find I like—I like teaching math and Chinese, which are two things I've learned. So, I mean, uh, of course, you're you're in China. You you're getting integrated. You said you quit the school, and then you you found a job. You you fell into another job somewhere else. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I, it was at that point I, and actually I was thinking of moving back to the U.S. because I'd moved back once before and didn't like it, but wanted to try it again. Uh, again, just I'd never experienced living in the U.S. after college, so I wanted to see what it was like. And so I'm, I found, uh, yeah, this small company through a search on LinkedIn and just message them saying, hey, I'm Nick, you know, I'm moving back to Minnesota in uh, a week, and I would like to work, you know, help you guys. And so they wrote back to me the next day, and then we had a conversation on Skype, and the guy I spoke with, he didn't even know what I would do there, but he thought it was cool that I could speak Mandarin and had lived in China. Um, I think a lot of people... You know, the people that at least said this company and um, they hadn't had a lot of kind of maybe international experience, even though they were interacting with uh, Chinese people all the time. And so they thought that it was cool that I could speak Mandarin and um, had this experience. So they once I got back, they invited me in to talk and I ended up speaking to the general manager of their China office, which is in Jiaxing which is right between Hangzhou and Shanghai. And, uh, yeah, so after talks with him, and uh, there was one day I was at my grandma's house, and the one of the owners of the company, he called me and, like, put the Chinese tutor of his son on the line to kind of test me. Uh-huh. So that's so, an exciting little time. time. And then, yeah, I had another kind of little test at one point. Pass the test and then be like, I quit. <laughs> I don't want yeah. this job. <laughs> yeah, and, um, but yeah, and then the, at that point they said, you know, do you want a job working at a China office? And I said, yeah, sure. And so I moved back to China and, uh, like a few weeks later and then, Worked there as a as a, as a translator and interpreter, cultural guide, and English teacher. Kind of a just like in-house cultural communicator. Nice. Yeah, it was good. It was sweet. So uh, you talked about uh, you talked about when you first got here and stuff like that. But like, what advice do you have for people when they just get down to China? Just the really practical stuff dealing with cultural shock, getting a new apartment. Meeting people for the first time, uh, I'm sure a lot of people have this perception that China is so like super restricted and like you know can they just live their lives freely? Um, what advice yeah. do you for people about that? I guess in my opinion, yeah, you can live fairly freely in China. It's, you don't. There's not like an air of, you know, like well, yeah. There's not like an air of restriction. Although it is can be hard to get on some different websites. Uh, but I think the main thing is having a network of people that you can uh, talk to and learn from, um, whether they're Chinese or other foreigners. Either way, just being able to be right when you arrive, having some kind, of, someone able to like help you get a cell phone and help you go to the store and teach you some Mandarin phrases that will help you. You know, like buyao. Like, I don't want this, or, um, you know, that kind of thing. And, yeah, I think that having the network is the most important thing. Um, for culture shock, uh, 
I think it's important to have both Chinese friends and, you know, Western friends or friends from your home country, you know, or, you know. And so, yeah, the, the Chinese friends, you know, they'll help you with uh, assimilating to their culture and giving you kind of little different tips. Uh, you know, like when I first moved to China, there was that group of volunteer students and they brought me to different bars and restaurants and introduced me to some cool places around the city to hang out, which I wouldn't have known about without them. And then foreign friends, because it can be hard being in uh, a country that's different as China from a lot of countries. And so but there's a lot of different culture shock that goes with it. And so having people that you can talk to um, kind of uh, process some different things you're going through. Um, at the same time, it's not a good idea to complain too much. Um, that, that can be bad for morale. Uh, and you see it sometimes like different foreigners just hang out in their foreigner group and complain and kind of toxic yeah that's one of those things as well yeah i talked i talked about that in the podcast i was talking about how to avoid the dreaded china day it was like right. 27. but it's just yeah there's a lot of people i find that are super negative in china right. and then you know like i i've met people who were in china for four or five years and i feel like i've been in china for just over two years and i feel like i've i've surpassed them in so many ways in terms of my progress here in my life and I, mm-hmm. I think that just comes down to like being an open-minded person being positive um sort of not taking things too personally and you know making friends and you know always wanting to try to assimilate into the culture even though my mandarin is not where it should be but you know you if you're negative you're just you're gonna have negative experiences right because you're always framing things from a negative perspective Right. <clears throat> yep. Let's jump into yeah. something that I've explored on my podcast a little bit, which is dating in China. You know, I did I did a couple episodes, uh, but I was interviewing uh, a woman who is thirty plus in China. She's Chinese, and just her experiences yeah. in terms of you know, there's that there was that thing a while ago. I'm not sure if it's still prevalent now, but it was like if you're 26. And and you're single, you're considered like a lost woman because no one would want right. you to marry you. Shangnir. Yeah, exactly. So we were talking yeah. about that, and it was very interesting sitting down with her. She's super intelligent. She, she used to be my manager at an old English teaching school, but I haven't really touched on dating as a guy in China. So, you know, what is what is your opinion on that? Um, it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you bring up the point about the shengnu, like the, the leftover woman, kind of literal translation, and I mean, just that alone, that's um, amazing. It's, you, yeah, you have some intelligent, beautiful women, 26 years old, and there's less competition, so that, you know... That's a good thing. Yep. Yeah, I agree. That's a guy over there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess, yeah, 
it's another another thing in China. You'll find the people, the the women just will come up to you and just start talking to you, which you don't have to do. Uh, at least in for for me, um, you know, in the U.S., pretty you know, average looking. Um, you don't get that often. Um, and in China, you can feel. You know, maybe listeners have heard, but you can kind of, it's like being a super, super, you know, hero sometimes, or like a famous person, and so you'll get people coming up to you and, you know, wanted to meet you, and um, also another thing with dating in China is it's very easy to have, start conversations because there's so much to talk about, um, you know, just being in that other culture Clearly, you're different from them. Uh, you don't look, you know, I'm, you know, assuming here, don't look Asian or you don't speak, you know, you're speaking in English. Uh, or Mandarin with an accent. Clearly, there are a lot of differences going on. And so you'll get a lot of kind of the same questions and you'll be able to talk about a lot of the same topics. So it becomes a lot easier to talk about just to have something to talk about. Whereas in the U.S., sometimes meeting someone for the first time, um, going out, maybe you you know see a girl across the way and you want to go talk to her, but it's, you know, you're like, oh, what will I say? Um, or not even what will I say, but, you know, what will we talk about after I say something? Um, whereas in China, it's there's something to talk about. You're going to talk about being in China and about, languages and English and cultural differences. So I found that really helpful. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, even just from, from a Westerner's perspective, it's like, how do you, like, how do you feel when you're in the U.S. or Canada and you meet somebody who's from the U.K. or you meet somebody who's from Italy or Spain? Right. You know, it's like, it's, oh, it's something different, right? And then um, I think it's that times 10 or times 100 in China sometimes just because um, a lot of people here just didn't grow up with people from different cultures or never traveled. Um, I remember one of my students back in the day, she was like 23 and she said she, and she spoke pretty good English. Like she was not like I could have very deep conversations with her. Like I barely had to teach her. Um, and she was like, I just have never had a conversation with a foreigner before. I was, I was like, yeah. I was like, why? You speak perfect English. Like, I know other, not perfect, but like close to perfect English. I know other Chinese people who don't speak very well and always try to have conversations with the foreigners. And she was just like, no, I just never felt comfortable talking to anybody in that context. Like, if I met somebody in an elevator or whatever, I'd say hi. They'll say hi back, but then I just didn't know what to say afterwards. And then she was just like, I don't, I don't really hang out in social situations where there are foreigners. So it's just like, it is what it is. But, you know, in, in that context of, of being at a school and whatever, she felt comfortable and she was able to open up. So that's something that you have to keep in mind is like, yeah, you do come, you are somewhat of a celebrity because a lot of people are shy to approach you or, they're just interested in getting to know you, but they don't know how to communicate or they don't know how to like uh, make that connection. Right. 
lot of similar experiences. It's a, it's a good type. Mm-hmm. Another, another thing is it can be also meeting other foreigners to date in China, I think, can be easier as well because you are, you know, you're, you're of like mind. You know, you're both, you're abroad, uh, traveling. So it's, and I mean, back in the, in the U.S., those are the kinds of women that I'm attracted to are those that are, you know, that like to travel and, you know, like learning languages. And so in China, that's, you know, almost all of them are like that. So I think that's a good way. It's not only a good way to date Chinese, but also foreigners as well. So I, a random thing that you mentioned in an email is that uh, how to get a Chinese driver's license. Oh, I think. What is that yeah. process like? Sure. Uh, so, yeah. The Chinese driver's license is good for six years. And the main thing you need to do in order to get a license is pass the test. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a hundred questions long. And there are lots of study materials online. In my book, I give some links to those websites. Uh, or if you just type in a search online, you can probably find them. But you have to pass these tests. this test. It's, it's timed. I think it's 45 minutes. I have to check back. 45 minutes. And some of the questions are, the translations are not very good. Uh... So you have to watch out for those. Most of the laws are the same as they are, uh, say, the U.S., for example. But there are a lot of questions like if it's raining at night or if it's foggy out, if it's snowing, you should drive this speed. And there's like a set speed that you have to choose. I think it, I can't remember now, but it was, you know, like, you know, 30 kilometers per hour. That's, you know, the answer to all these questions. And so, yeah, that's kind of the main component. But then you also need to have your uh, your home country's driver's license translated by a designated agent translation agency into Chinese. So you can't just have anyone translate it. It has to be kind of an approved agency that does the translation. Uh, and then you also have to bring some, you have to ha- do a physical exam. Uh, they do that exam there. Uh, just kind of checking your eyesight and a few other things. And then you pay a little bit of money. Not, not much, not more than uh, 200 RMB. And then you, yeah, got your license. Yeah, 200 RMB is like, what, like less than $40? Yeah, yeah, $30. Yeah, I don't know what it is now, but yeah, something like $30, $40. All right, man, uh, in closing, what are your, what are three books, podcasts, or blogs that people could read or listen to to get to know you better? Sure. <clears throat> well, obviously my, my book and blog... Um, my book is called Ultimate China Guide. Uh, you can find it on Amazon or like iBooks or Kobo Nook. 
And then my website as well, which is chinalifefiles.com. Uh, and there are some different kind of free PDF downloads, like um, downloads for uh, job boards for foreigners in China and a sample of my book. So, of course, those resources. Um, another resource is Confucius Institutes, which are... Um, kind of little schools set up by the Chinese government around the world and they have free libraries where people can go and check out books and get information about China, about, uh, you know, teaching English or working or, or studying. You know, studying is also another great way to uh, go to China, experience China. So uh, if you typed in Confucius Institute and then the area where you live, or the big city in your area, you would find one. So for me in, in Minnesota currently, it would be uh, in Minneapolis, the big city here. And then uh, another good book, I would say, to uh, kind of learn about China, get excited about China, is called Wild Swans. And that's about kind of the modern Chinese history. And that uh, seen seen from the perspective of um, one woman and her mother and her grandmother, and it kind of goes over the last hundred years of history in China, and that that is really good for learning that basic, um, the yeah, kind of getting a good base for Chinese history uh, in the last one hundred years. So those would be my three. Nice, nice. What is the Final question, what is the plan for the future? I know you're in the States right now. Do you plan on coming back to China? Um, do you sure. Want to China or you just want to kind of, you had your experiences? And, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I think about it every day. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, that lifestyle that teaching English in China affords is pretty, pretty good. Um, but, yeah, currently I work as a, a medical interpreter, Chinese medical interpreter. So I work primarily online, um, doing video interpreting. So a, if a person is, uh, in a hospital here in the U S or a clinic, they don't speak English well, then the doctor will call me up. I'll come on the video and start interpreting for the patient and the healthcare provider. And so I plan to keep doing that for now. And then keep working on my business. What? I said, look at Nick saving lives out here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool. Yeah, I like it. He's making me feel guilty. I feel like I need to do more with my life. No. <laughs> yeah, you know, you do a lot. Yeah, but no, yeah. I mean, what you're doing is awesome. Like, I, yeah, I, I want to keep working on my business. Um, like, I have my book. Uh, have some plans to expand it and create some other products based around uh, living and working in China. And so I, I foresee myself in China at some point. Um, may, I would love to be able to go for three or four months. Um, so it's, but like I said, I'm doing the interpreting now. So it's, I'm working on uh, figuring out how, how to do that. Awesome. Alright man, where can people, if people want to find you, where can they reach out to you? Sure. Uh, yeah, they can find me at, like I said, my website, chinalifefiles.com. 
or also my book website, ultimatechinaguide.com. Uh, you can send an email if you want to nick at ultimatechinaguide.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, Facebook as well. If you search for Ultimate China Guide or Nick Lincheski. Awesome, man. And uh, thank you for being on the podcast, man. I think it was a good episode. It's great connecting with you. And if you guys want to reach out to us, you can shoot me an email at info at sourcefindasia.com. That's S-O-U-R-C-E-F-I-N-D-Asia.com. And the website is sourcefindasia.com slash made in China for the podcast. And cheers.